out of all the worship that I just did this evening, it hit me the hardest. That line, I bow before the one that made everything. He started everything. All of this, every single person that's sitting here tonight is God's purpose. God gets what God orders. If God says, let there be light, there will be light. If God says, let there be life, there will be life. I think it was R.C. Sproul that once said this. He said that if one molecule, if one molecule is out of place in the universe, we're all doomed. One molecule. I don't know about you, I do spend a bit of time on Facebook. And I think the sexuality, that's the thing that comes up the most nowadays. But the second biggest thing is UFOs. Like seriously, like aliens and UFOs. And I'm wondering, I'm just wondering, and this is not in my notes, but I'm just wondering if Satan is not trying to just prepare people's hearts for the second coming of Jesus. Because I can tell you, every person, dead and alive, the quick and the dead, like the like the, it says, they will come and stand before the one that made everything. And we will give reckoning on that day. And actually, in fact, the Bible calls it that terrible day for some. So as a young Christian, I um, grew up in the early 90s. I got saved and... Um, there was a book that was pretty much prescribed to you if you wanted to know anything about end times. It was a book called Late Great Planet Earth by a guy called Hal Lindsey. Who's read that book? Oh, wow. Wow. And it was, like, it was like, this was it, man. If you wanted to know anything. I think it was the bestseller in the 80s and 90s until another book came on the market by a guy called Tim LaHaye. Left Behind. And Left Behind kicked that book of, of uh, Al Lindsay off the top charts on the sellers, like the top sellers of, because everybody, I think there was, a, there was a moment in the 90s and the 80s where everybody was just looking to the return of Jesus and trying to explain things. And I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. I remember bumper stickers that used to read things like, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. <laughs> I remember that. Okay. I also remember, I once saw this sticker. It says, this, this car is held together by Psalm 91 stickers, but because it was so rusty and it was falling apart. So I also saw that. But anyway. This is not what I want to talk about. I'm here to tell you, I'm not here tonight, please. And uh, I know in this week, 
Andrew did speak to us as leaders about it. But even last week Sunday, I was sitting in church, and I was stirred about the return of Jesus in my heart. And then on Monday, I went into my office, into my room, and I spent some time with the Lord, and I pray this is what He wants to say tonight. So turn with me to your Bibles, to the second last verse in the Bible. In the book of Revelation, it's not Revelations. Please, it's not. It's just one revelation, and it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's called, apocalypsis. That's what the book means in, in Greek. The second last verse is in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, and it reads like this. He who testifies to these things. So if, if there's one that testifies what things, you've usually got to go look at the verses preceding it, but... But he is Jesus, because in my Bible, this is in red, and red is Jesus speaking, if you didn't know that in, the, in your Bible. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, surely, surely I am coming soon. Some translations will read, I'm coming quickly. And our response should be, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Surely, I am coming soon. I'm not here to tell you about end-time views that you need to embrace, but I am here to tell you about a big theological thing called the parousia, which is the second coming of Jesus. I'm telling you that Jesus is coming back. The same way that we saw Him go is the same way that we will see Him come. There is a beginning and there is an end. His name is Alpha, and His name is Omega. His name is beginning, and His name is end. This will end. Every year, we are one year closer to the return of Jesus, whether you believe it or not. This will all end. When will it end? Soon. That's Jesus' answer. When He says, surely... He means yes. He means indeed. He means certainly. There is an assurance to that word, surely. It's been over 1,900 years since Jesus spoke those words. In actual fact, it's 1,928 years exactly. Because Revelation was written in 95, 96, 80. Okay. Did I say 80? BC. No, 80. That's right. You can't have those things anymore because apparently people don't believe in Jesus anymore. So they don't honor dominion before Christ. It's funny, hey, how the whole world structured time around 80 and BC. And now all of a sudden they go, no, 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 but there wasn't a Jesus. So <laughs> confusing, hey. But for us, while being transformed into his likeness is really not confusing because I'm looking forward to that day when he returns. You know, turn with me quickly in 2 Peter and keep your finger there by 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes, and he's actually predicting really long ago that many will scoff at this idea that Jesus said, I will come back soon or I will come back quickly. And that it would refer to a future time, a literal, physical second coming. 
And what Jesus would do is he would overthrow the rebellious kingdom of this earth. But let us not be like the unbelieving skeptics. And let's look at what Peter actually writes. He says, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, and this is really what I want to do tonight, is stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Peter and Paul does this often in their letters where they go, I want to remind you guys. Because we forget. We get so busy with life that we forget Jesus is coming back. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets, Old Testament, and the commands of the Lord our Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Can we, can we see that in today's society? They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact. Say, don't overlook the fact. <laughs> that the heavens existed. You don't have to say this. Just read it with me. That the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. The one that created everything. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Noah's flood. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. Okay. If God promised you something, God is not slow, like you think slowness is. Peter just tells us that. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. That's what Peter is writing. Peter's words are actually a great source of encouragement to us tonight. For those that are awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. Those promises are better than gold. Those things that, that we see in the Bible, the promises of the Lord that I'm coming back soon, is better than gold and more sure than even the ground that we walk on today. The reason for the 1,928 year and counting between the promises and our day, Peter is actually explaining it there for us. I want to give three things. Peter says, it's giving you perspective. It's giving you perspective that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. So for, in his mind, he's been away for two days. Think about it. This, we should just break out, like after everything that I say now, we should just break out and worship spontaneously. This should just drive you to worship. 
when you see Him, when you start understanding how big God is, we have diminished God so much into our little world and our little, little ideas and our little dreams. And we've boxed him neatly. And we put him in a nice Bible that lie in a nice place in a nice spot in the house. And it's, it's, that's how we diminished him. But he is the one that created everything. And he's the one that's got the power to dissolve everything. He says he's going to destroy it all with fire. And we all just go on with our lives. Like nothing's going to... Here comes the Christians, always a day late and a rant short. It's true. Always. Here comes the Christians. And we just carry on. But there is, should be something resonating. There should be a perspective. And another perspective that we should have is the perspective of grace and mercy. We should have a perspective that the lengthy delay, the 1,928 years to be exact delay, is a great testimony to the grace and the mercy of our God. <laughs> because he says, I want all to repent. I want to give you time. I want your eyes to open. I want to give you time. But there's a moment that's going to come where the time's finished. And it's going to be too late. So which side do you want to be on? Get perspective. Once the events described in the Bible is beginning things will escalate very quickly and rapidly. Each year that Christ's return is delayed is another year of unmerited favor poured out upon a rebellious earth wherein those who fear God and thirst after Him have opportunity to attain salvation by faith and the faith is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Every year, and this should bring something in your heart where you say, Lord, can I pray? Who do I need to pray for? Who do I need to speak to? It's not about another day, another dollar. It's not about just, I've got to, I've got to, man, I've got to, listen, I've got to get my children through, through high school and I've got to get my children into the best university and then they go to hell. No. No. I don't want to train my children for the world. I want to train them for heaven. I want my kids to be with me in heaven. And I'm, uh, hear me out, guys. You've got to balance all of these things out, I guess. And I'm not saying that we all need to now go sit on a mountain, dress in sackcloth and ashes, and become a monk. And go, um. <laughs> and eat grass and, and vegetarian food. Sorry. I had to say that. <laughs> no, no offense to the vegans. You guys were there first. That's all you ate in Genesis. Only after the sin, God had to kill something and then there, an animal was sacrificed. And then only after that, the bride came. But there was also fire for the bride. <laughs> guys, stop it. This is church. Focus.
wants to give us an opportunity. And then the third thing that is happening that Peter is telling us. So the first thing is getting a perspective. Get God's perspective. The second thing is grace and mercy. And the third thing is judgment is building. It's building. And people are watching videos of babies being burned and killed. People are watching things online. And they go, oh, how I wish that I can go kill them. You've got to remember one thing. God says this, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's coming back. He's come to, coming back to judge. So it's going to be a fun day. There's going to be a separation. Those that are in Christ, and then there's a judgment seat where they're going to stand before Almighty God. And it's going to be a terrible day, the Bible says. There's two things that are eternal. You can, you can argue with me. There's other things as well, but I'll, I'll just quickly follow me on this one. There's two major things in the Bible that's eternal. Eternal life and eternal judgment. Heaven is eternal. Angels are eternal. Peace and joy is eternal. Those are all things we're going to have in heaven. That's eternal life. But there's two things. In this week, I felt the Lord say, Son, there's two things that's eternal. There's eternal judgment according to Hebrews chapter 6. And there's eternal life. We've got to be careful on which side. We will be judged for everything that we say. But the judgment I'm talking about is an eternal, eternal separation from God. Never ever will you ever have grace and mercy and kindness and love towards you ever again after that. And then people want to fight against it and say, there's no hell. There is hell. It's real. And I want to say to you, if you're on planet earth right now, this is, for, as a Christian, this is most probably the closest you're going to get to hell. For some people that are unsaved, this will be the closest to heaven they will get. Is this heavy? It shouldn't be heavy. This, should, this is an encouragement. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Can we get that scripture, please? It says this. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. If you know what time Jesus is coming back, you would want to be ready. But nobody knows. Revelation 3 verse 3 says this. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. The thief does not announce, hey, are you awake? Are you ready? I'm breaking in now. Where's the TV, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> See, the precious promises. This precious promise. The one closes the book of Revelation, and it closes the New Testament. Those who love the Lord Jesus Christ eagerly await His return. Philippians chapter 3. Let's read that quickly. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. My citizenship is not on earth. 
I'm, a, I'm passing through. The Bible calls me a sojourner, a traveler. This is not my home. Heaven is my home. That's where I'm going. And that's what I'm working towards. And I want to take as many as I can with me. You see, Peter continues the thought of waiting. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 and verse 14, he says this. Waiting for and hastening. How do we hasten the coming of the Lord? Hastening the day, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Verse 14 says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Waiting is not a passive thing. Waiting is an active thing. We need to be diligent. And God needs to come and he's going to um, inspect each one of us. And he's going to look and see where the spots and the blemishes are. And is there peace within you? You see, the world is shouting peace. But there's only one who's called the Prince of Peace. Philippians tells us, in Philippians chapter 4, he actually tells us there's a peace that surpasses all understanding to guard your heart and your mind. But where do you get it? Only in Christ Jesus. Only in Him. Waiting. The promise of His return is a powerful motivator for every single saint to deny the world and to live lives in preparation of His return. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is it. It's, it's revealed through Jesus. You can be saved tonight. There's no reason. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Training us to renounce ungodliness, the things of this world, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. People, this is possible. Waiting for our blessed hope. We're looking forward. A hope is a confident expectation of better things to come. A blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, to, to deliver us, to save us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what Jesus came to do. And again, Peter says this in 2 Peter 3, verse 11 and 14, to live our lives of holiness and godliness, to be diligently found by him without a spot or blemish and at peace. Unfortunately, history, all throughout history, there's people that have been foolish who have attempted to establish dates, even general ones, at which Christ will finally come in fulfillment of his promises. And I think it's, it's just dangerous, and I wouldn't advise it. Because no one knows. If you knew in the... The enemy was going to come in, the, 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 you know, the thief is going to come break in, then tell us. But nobody knows. Even so, I want to conclude, even so, come 
Lord Jesus. The saints, each one of us, are in full agreement with Jesus' promised return. For they love His appearing. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8 tells us that. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That's the day of His coming. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Are you loving the appearing? Are you loving the fact that Jesus is coming back? I wrestled with this thing a few years back. Because I love life. I love steak. I love my wife. In that order. No, no. <laughs> I love my children. I love, I love these things. Come on. You love the things that's on planet earth. Hey, who wants to be truthful? This is church. Don't lie. Don't get Ursula. Mark, I've got a hand. I've got a hand. Yes, there's three people that don't lie in, in this church. Thank you, Jesus. I love the things of this world. I do. But here's the promise. Just read on. In Revelation 21, we start seeing that when he comes back, there's going to be a new earth and a new heaven. Brand new. So don't worry. Those things are going to be there. If you love, if you love motorbikes, I'm sure there's going to be bikes. up. You're not going to sit in a cloud with little wings and play. Tring, tring. That's not, I can't imagine you, in actual fact, in a little white dress like you're just being baptized or whatever. <laughs> can't. Sorry, Dion. <laughs> we, there's a promise. There's a promise for us, a new earth, brand new. And Jesus is going to stay with us. We're going to be, it's going to be like Eden. Eden was heaven on earth. Because if God walked with them in the cool of the day, have you thought of that? How cool that is. Huh? Just walk with Jesus. Just walk with Jesus in the cool of the day. I can't, man, I, I can't wait for that. I don't know how is he, how is he going to do it with billions of people. Don't know. Like, I don't know. But I want to walk with him. I want to walk with him. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28. So Jesus Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus? Song of Solomon. Who's read Song of Solomon? It's that book that most people don't want to read. In actual fact, as a Jewish boy, you're only read, allowed to read it at the age of 30. Because it's so sexual. It is. It's very sexual. It's like, yo. I'm not going to go there. I think we should do a verse by verse of Song of Solomon. <laughs> For those that are married. Oh, you who dwell in the gardens. There's a Shulamite girl. The story of Song of Solomon is there's a Shulamite girl and, and Solomon. And he sees this, he sees this Gertie, this girl. That's Kun. Yeah, she's beautiful. Huh? She, he sees her. And he's like, oh, I want to be with her. So this is what she says. Oh, you dwell in gardens with companions. Listen to your voice. Let me hear it. Like, I mean, I want to I I be. The king is actually, the king is saying this. I want to hear your voice. Church, I want to come back. 
want to hear your voice. I want you to worship. And the Shulamite girl's response is this. Make haste, in verse 14. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Yeah? Make haste like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Uh. So the Shulamite, listen to this, listen to this. The Shulamite desires this king's speedy return. The Shulamite girl, she says, come, my beloved. In actual fact, there's one place where she says, tell my beloved that I'm lovesick for him. Are you lovesick for Jesus? Are you lovesick to just sit in his presence and look into his eyes and worship him? And his response is, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your worship. I want to hear you say, holy, holy, holy. Christ is to make haste to return at his second coming. And he's actually put portrayed as a, a fleet of gazelles or a young stag bounding over the mountains of spices, overcoming all hindrances and, and obstructions to bring his fragrance and his kingdom rule. I want you to go read. Please read. This is homework. Please read this week Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Just go read it. I'm not going to read it all right now. You see, unlike Adam and Eve, who, did, who, who was hiding in shame, the redeemed, we long to come for God to come and, and look upon us. What was the first words? What was the words in, right in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10? It says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. That's the first words of Adam. What's the last words in the Bible? Oh, come, Lord Jesus. I'm not afraid anymore. I've been redeemed. I'm set free. Come, Lord Jesus. Now we're eagerly awaiting his return. Jesus has promised to come quickly, to come surely, to come soon. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 7 and verse 12, it will pop up here in the back. But this, the bride, we, the church... We respond. We respond with the, with, the, with the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit, the Bible says, the Spirit and the bride. The, the bride needs to say what the Spirit is already saying. The Holy Spirit is saying, come Lord Jesus. And that's what we're saying. We're saying, come Lord Jesus. We're echoing what the Holy Spirit is saying. Somebody put it this way. He says, be coming. And this is today's preacher's name. Be coming. This prayer is moved by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the bride, the Spirit and the church always works together. Romans 8 verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul reminds us. And this is the second time, there's only twice in the Bible that this word, come Lord Jesus, or the word Maranatha is used. And this is the other time, Paul is reminding us in 1 Corinthians, if we can just read that quickly. 
If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Paul is crying out with the church. He's saying, come Lord Jesus. The same verse, that's the same word that is used. That is Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. We should constantly, by the Spirit, say, be coming. Come Lord Jesus. It doesn't just point to the day, the Lord's day, the final coming, but also the whole course of history preceding that event. We are saying in effect, Lord Jesus, carry out your whole plan in history with a view to your coming. And that's, that's where there can't be passivity because we're part of that plan. We as the saints, we are all saying, we're all looking and say, Lord, come. With the Holy Spirit. May your hearts be filled with expectation tonight. Yearning. May your soul be consumed with longing. Like the Shulamite girl that says, Tell my beloved I love him. And then he must come back quickly. And then lastly, it ends. The verse ends and it says, Amen. Amen. And in Hebrew it means a confirmation. Each one of us are confirming that Jesus is coming back. Is your life ready that if he's coming back tonight, today, we could, we could all walk out there and Jesus is there. In the, I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know. It's going to be frightful and crazy. But he's coming back.